Lord will give you all the praise and will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in that Revelations 18. Remember when I left off last week, I told you 17 is the religious group of Babylon, in a sense. But over in 18, you get into the economical part or the commercial part of Babylon. And the Lord uses that word Babylon to allow us to know of, of a system that is being developed. And we need to recognize that that system is not going to just come in play at some certain time. It's already in play and it is being built. And it's intensifying. And oftentimes we don't want to recognize that Satan is already at work because Satan knows there's going to come a day that it all ends for him. So he's not waiting for the last month or the last year. He's at work. That word Babylon, again, we want to refer to as a system that we also discover as we look back in the history at Nimrod, the founder of Babylon, of Assyria, and what he set up and what his wife, Semiramis, set up. This is a system that Satan has used down through history. All the false teachings basically come out of that system. Remember, Nimrod means to rebel against God. And oftentimes we forget that it is so easy to buy into a philosophy or a teaching that is totally wrong. It can look good on the outside, but it has no concreteness. It is something that is given to deceive, and that's why he tells us in Colossians, not to be deceived by the philosophy of men. So when we read in Revelations 18.4, he tells, and it's strange what he says. He says, come out of her, my people. He distinguished who he's talking to. My people, come out. And the question you have to pose yourself, why would God say to his people, come out? Now, understand, some say that Babylon is the apostate church. Could be. Some are in the area that these are all Jews. Well, I think they're more than just Jews. Uh, The Lord is very specific with his 144,000 coming out of the 12 tribes, so he shows that very clearly. But there are people who are still going to be saved after what is called the rapture or whatever. Now, the church may be gone at this time. That's a whole other argument. The issue is this here. God, if you look at the scripture... God has always had his remnant or his people in every dispensation God's had his people. And God makes it clear about something here. He calls them my people. Uh, Isn't it going to be something that we the church were up in heaven but there's still going to be some saints coming up? (laughs) Now, understand, they're not going anywhere else. 
if they know the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted Christ, they're coming on up. <laughs> and there's going to be them Old Testament saints that are where? Up there in heaven. God don't have a department for each age group or each dispensational group. You're over in this section and you're in this section and you're in this section because you were saved after the tribulation. You were saved during the tribulation. You were saved during the church time. You were saved before Christ came and he's going to put you in here and here. No. One heaven. (laughs) And he calls them his people. What is striking about this is this. He's calling his people out. Catch this now. God's people don't have enough sense sometimes to leave a place when it's dangerous. God's people, though they're saved, don't have the wisdom and the knowledge to understand Bad company will corrupt. Yeah. And sometimes you got to let go of friends because they're getting you drunk. They're getting you high. They're leading you in every kind of thing that you shouldn't be in. But you don't want to say goodbye because they're my friend. When you start suffering, where's your friend? When you're broken out, where's your friend? When, when you need a place to sleep, where's your friend? When you need a few dollars, where's your friend? When, when you need a ride, where's your friend? But for some reason, God's people will connect with people, and here's the word that I really want to say, who do not really edify them. Who don't really build them up. Who don't really pray for them. Who don't really ask God, God, how do I help this brother or sister in the Lord? And the Lord says, come out. Come out from them. Come out from them. So I got, I got kind of stuck on that last week and we said this is where we would pick up at. And I kind of got stuck on it and scratching my head. Lord, why are you saying to your people to come out? Come out. Well, he tells us also in the text, but I'm thinking, Lord, don't we have enough sense to know when to walk? Don't we have enough sense to know when to get out of something? Sometimes we ask ourselves, why will a woman stay in a bad situation? That she don't have enough sense to do what? Walk and get out of that. But I'm going to have somebody... Hitting me upside my head, breaking my ribs, not bringing money home for me at home, not feeding the kids. And I don't have no sense to get out of that. And then some men. Oh, I love her. But she's sleeping with everybody in town. I love her. You know. It goes both ways. And there comes a time that, boy, okay, it's time to walk. It's time to walk. He says, come out of her, my people. Then he gives the reasons. So that you will not share in her sins. That you will not share in her sins. Now understand something about God's people. We are meant to always be the influencers, not to be influenced. 
But there comes a place in time, and we're seeing it even in the church, where the world influences the church rather than the church doing what? Influencing the world. We find that problem even with our young people. They're not the influencers. They're constantly being what? Influenced. And, and somewhere God understands that if he leaves his people in this situation, they're going to be envious. They're going to be jealous. Because what did we read about earlier? That boy, they had all the luxuries of this world. Come on back up a little bit. Come back up into verse 3. For all the nations had drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. And I kept asking, what's the maddening wine? What's the maddening wine? And I don't know what popped in my head with the philosophy or the teaching. You know. And, and over in 17 it says that she has a golden cup. And when you go back, I think it's in Isaiah or Jeremiah, Babylon also has a golden cup there. But, but the thing is, they're caught up with it. The people of the nations are. And that's a strong influence. And it says, For all the nations have drunk of her maddening wine, of her adulteries. And the kings of the earth committed adultery with her. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive what? Luxuries. Now, even with the church, we think we should live how? Like the world, luxurious. We should have the big homes. We should have the big cars. And we should have this. And we should have that. Forgetting that scripture says, all that's nothing but temporal. But we're just like the world too. We want to dress a certain way. We want this and we want that. We want the latest fads. We want the latest thing to wear. Don't matter what it makes us look like. Because some of that stuff they make in the day, young ladies, we shouldn't be putting on. But the thing is, we want to look like the world. We want the luxuries of the world. We want the fun of the world. And the Lord says, come out. Why? You're my people. Come out. Because God knows we will be weakened. Over the luxuries and the pleasures of this world. And he says, come out. Oh, the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. But boy, oftentimes we give in where? To the flesh. Rather than following after the spirit. And he says, come out. Why? Because you'll get so involved with their sin. Look at the church today. Are we involved with the sins of the world? We're involved. And we make excuses of why we're involved. We use these nice so-called biblical crochets and can't find them in the Bible. God understands my heart. God knows I love him. Yeah, he, he, he really does know too. You know, he knows your heart. Hey. He knows how deceitful your heart will be. And and the whole process is that God says, come out. 
because of the sin that will entice and all the luxuries that are there. And he says, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Boy, that there is something. That you won't suffer what she's going to suffer when I bring my judgment upon her. Because God's people have never really been appointed to his wrath. And God's always moving his people out. Even when you look at Assyria and you look at Babylon, before God really took them down, before God really did something, he moved his people out. God's always protected his people before he sends his judgment in. And he says, come out from them so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Look at verse 5. For her sins are piled up to heaven. And God has remembered her. What? Her crimes. And with every sinful world, with every sinful nation, God gets to a point and God says, it's enough. The flood, God said, it's enough. The destruction and bringing the children of Israel out of it, it's enough. Assyria, it's enough. Babylon, it's enough. Germany, it's enough. God is still the sovereign God that says, it's enough. And even with some people's lives that, boy, and i got to be careful here. Longevity is in the hands of God. And at some point, even with our own personal life, God says, it's enough. God knows the heart is not going to change. It's enough. It's enough. So what I want to look at a little bit today is some scripture also where God is directing us, in a sense, to leave or to get away from. Understand, because we're grown, that doesn't mean we can handle everything. We still have to understand that if I'm around people every day who are cussing, guess what's going to happen to my language? If I'm around people every day looking at playboys and and looking at other things, guess what's going to happen? Did you read about our new mayor? Just appointed mayor. Now, he can't run for mayor. But the statement when I was reading about him is that as a chief of police and as being in the law department majority of his life, what he fought against, he wound up doing. And he had worked with this woman for 14 years. And he said what he did was, Inappropriate. 
and therefore he will not be running for mayor this fall. After a long career, now nobody's told us what the inappropriate act was or what he did, but that one thing took him down. And what you and I need to understand is this. One thing will take us down. One thing will ruin our testimony. One thing will cause people to think how seriously are we about the Lord Jesus Christ. Just that one thing. And one thing can ruin your life for life. And he says, come out from them. Now, he says also, he says, boy, I'm going to pay them back double for what they've done to my people. The killing, the murdering, the beheadings, or whatever you want to call it. He said, I'm going to pay them back double. And God says, I want you guys out of here before my judgment really comes. I want you out of here. Now, in doing that, God begins to set up another area that he is going to say, boy, I want you to come on out. You come out because I'm going to do something a little bit different. You come on out. Now, God always has a people. Look at churches. That church can be... mm, it can be rotten to the core, but believe this, God will have a few people in there that really love him. And sometimes you ask, why do you stay there? Because God has them on assignment. That's, right. <laughs> That's all. God has them on assignment. God has them there for a purpose. The only safety is to come out of Babylon, though. And God will let people know when it's time to what? Now, we're going to take a look at Lot for a moment. Because, see, many of you know the story between Lot and Abraham. Lot was picking what he thought was the very best. And that's where he went. And Lot winds up in the city with the big folks, with the fine houses. And there's Abraham out there in the woods, you know, still sleeping in the tent, you know. And God, because of what was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah, God says, Lot, come out. Remember, he already had negotiated with Abraham. If I find ten righteous, if I find one, God would spare. But here's that lot who belongs to God. And God sends two angels into him to bring him out. When people come and warn you about something, you need to ask, Lord, are you sending them? Look with me in 
verse 16. I'll start at verse 15. <clears throat> With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry. Do what? Hurry. We're in chapter 19. Chapter 19, Genesis 19. I don't know why y'all don't read my mind and know where I'm going, I tell you. Oh, I don't have it up there either, do I? I guess, boy. See what happens after 30 years, Travis? Eh? Eh? Even the computer don't want to work now. There we go. Can you guys switch me on back there? All right. Do we got anything? All right. Boy. And the whole thing here, lot, hurry. Have you ever seen some of our kids? Mark Jr. was working with me yesterday. And I and I need I'm yelling for him, yelling for him. Hurry, Mark, huh? But boy, it's something you want, boy. They they had it, you know. And and the angels are saying to them, it's expedient that we get out of this place. We need to move. And he says, hurry. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Or you will be swept away with the city is punished. If you're not out on time, what God is sending is going to also affect you. Now, God has given you the warning. God has given you the time to what? Escape. But you have to want to what? Yeah. And can you see, Lot? You want me to leave all this? See, only thing he told Lot to do, get his wife and his daughters. He didn't say, hey, go get that coffee table. Go get that new bedroom seat. Go get that new car. He just said, get your family. And we get stuck on these temporary things. These temporary things. I can remember that when the Lord was calling me to school. Lord, I didn't work hard to get this house I got right now. And bought this extra lot. I'm living good. I'm making a good salary. Lord, working for Chrysler. I'm doing good, Lord. Got some good furniture, buying a new car every two years. Lord, I'm doing all right. You want me to leave this stuff? No. And it would be surprising when your heart is really captured by God what he might ask you to leave or to let go of. The thing is always this. Keep this hand open that God can take out of it whatever he wants. Keep this one open that God can put into it whatever he wants. And always remember, you're just a vessel that God wants to use. And 
He tells him to hurry. Take his wife, his daughters, lead them out of the city. Now, catch verse 17. As soon as they had brought them out of them, said, flee for your life. Do what? Flee for your life. Man, take off running. Take off running. Now, now go back up in the 16. Answer me this question. If you have people warning you to get away from something that is dangerous, and answer this in your own mind, what would cause you to hesitate? What would cause you to hesitate? Indecisiveness? Well, I really don't believe that's going to happen. I got too much invested in this. Look what it says in 16. When he hesitated, he's indecisive. Do I want to leave? I have all my investments here. I've been investing in his place. I'm not even going out to my shepherds to see how they're doing. They're they're taking care of the company. I'm just living in the city, just chilling out. And look what he says. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hand of his wife and of his two daughters and led them where? Safely out of the city. Who really took Lot out of the city? God did. God did. And that's like us. We want to talk about heaven, but as they say, nobody's running there. We can talk about heaven, but we're not really ready to go because I got to leave that car. I got to leave my house. I got to leave those new gowns I just bought. I got to leave this. Things just start perking up. I don't think we pray what Revelation says to pray at the very end. Come quickly, Lord. Come. I think we pray, slow it up, Lord. I'm enjoying this right now. Slow it up. Put put the brakes on, Lord. But Revelation says, pray. Come quickly, Lord. And we get caught in that dilemma with the things that are of this world and the things that are of our gods. And we find even among Christians, our investment so much is so much in the world that we have no funds to really invest where? In the kingdom of God. And he says, boy, the angels took them out. The angels took them out. Now understand this thing about Babylon and Revelation. And understand this about life. Some will not be converted, but only destroyed. And God will be the one to let you know, okay, you put in enough time, you shared enough. Because while God's people were there, they were sharing with them. Now, Melvin in his class this morning was also talking about that there comes a time even that enough has really been said. That enough has really been said. And 
Remember where they're at. They're in this steep area of this philosophy of Babylon. They're caught with all these nations. They're here with this worship. And guess what? I can see them trying to say, that's wrong. That's wrong. But when they say that's wrong, what's happening to them? They're putting themselves in danger. When they will speak up against that which is wrong. And a lot of us know that. If you speak up on the job saying the gay lifestyle is wrong, what might happen to your job? What might happen to those who called you friend at one time when you say a gay lifestyle is wrong? You know. So you put yourself in danger sometimes just saying something or saying living this way is wrong or just shacking up is wrong or, or trying to try it out before we get married is wrong. You put yourself in a peculiar situation where people look at you differently now because you stand up for principles and standards that are biblical. And I imagine they were doing this. And God says, now it's time to come out. Because, see, there comes a time when you're speaking God's message, people no longer will what? No longer hear or take heed. And that's what's happening a lot in churches today. We need to just teach the word. We're not an entertaining business. We are a teaching business. What are we teaching? God's word. What are we teaching? How to live holy. What are we teaching about a righteous God? What are we teaching? How to live a saved life. And he says, come out from them. Because they're no longer now going to hear. And my problem was at first I'm saying, okay, Lord, they're there now. What were they there for? With all this other stuff that's taking place in 17 and all this other worship and all this other adultery stuff that's taking place and all this false teaching and so forth, they're there to shine the light. They're there to speak the truth. Understand only in darkness, people who are caught in darkness can never come out of the darkness unless there's a light that they can see. And somebody pushes back the darkness. Somebody speak the truth. Now, go to Proverbs 24.1. The endangerment of the people even. Because we need to understand that God knows exactly when to call us out. He says, do not be envy of wicked men. Do we become envy of the sinful people today? Yes, we do. Lord, they don't know you. They don't serve you. But look what they have. Lord, it seems like they're taken care of. But how, how about me? I'm struggling every day. And see, understand, under this rule, you can't buy or sell. Unless you lie. Man. The whole process, you can't do very much. You're being persecuted for who you love, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, do not envy wicked men and do not desire their what? Their company. 
What kind of company do you keep? And the Lord says, come out from that company. Come out from those individuals. What is your main running group that you run with? Now understand, God is not saying, boy, uh, you can't have friends of the world because if you didn't have friends of the world, you could never lead an unsaved person to a saving knowledge of Christ. He's not saying that. But these are not the chum chums. These are not the ones you're gathering with constantly. These are not the ones you get your encouragement from. There's a difference there. And especially when the influence that they have the power to influence you more than you're influencing them, then it's time to come out. He goes on, as in Second Thessalonians, what do you do with people who say that they are born again? And, and understand, everybody who say they're born again, everybody who say that they're saved, they're not saved. We made this thing today something that everybody then picked up on and everybody's saying, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Life you leading, God couldn't bless it with. Some things as Christians, we all know right off the bat. That's not true. That's not true. And here they are in Babylon saying, oh, we're, we're saved, we're holy, we're this, we're that. But you're committing all this adultery. You're doing this and you're doing that. And, and, and you're calling upon everybody but the name of Jesus. But you're saved and you're worshiping. You're in your church building or you're in your thing and you're doing your thing. You're religious. But Christ is not the center focus. Now, understand something about the Babylonian religion. Christ is just about in every teaching of false teaching. Whether it's in Islam, Hinduism, whatever. They all see him as a great prophet. They all recognize him. Even those who, with Buddha and so forth. The Buddha is not a god and they know that, but it's a way of life. But the thing is, Jesus Christ is there. He saw the light. But what they don't recognize is this. They don't see him as God. He's there. He's on the shelf. But he's just not recognized. And now you're going to come along and recognize him. You're going to be like Paul. Yeah, I, I see you got all these religious things up here. I want to speak to you about that one that you call unknown. I want to speak to you about that unknown God. And they'll call themselves Christians. They'll call themselves religious. How do you know if somebody's really saved? How do you know it? You have to spend some time with them. You got to walk with them. You got to listen to them. You got to hear them. You got to hear their heart. You got to hear their concerns. The thing is, how do you know somebody's really born again other than somebody telling you, I'm saved, I'm born again? Go to verse 6. 
warning against idols. He says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother. Now, now look what Paul is saying. This person that Paul is calling a brother has identified with others that, Hey, I'm one of you guys. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. I'm a Christian. I'm one of you guys. So Paul called brothers. And he goes on, he says, Keep away from every brother who is, what? Number one, idle. See, if you're really saved, you're a servant of the Lord. And if you are a servant of the Lord, the Holy Spirit has gifted you with gifts and talent. The Holy Spirit has blessed you. And you have a work to do within the body of Christ. The problem is, we're so busy sometimes out here in the world, we have no time to function where at. In the body of Christ. In the church. And see, the one who is really saved, he makes every effort to carve out so much time that he spends for the Lord in serving the Lord. He's not idle when it comes to the things of God. And he says that are idle and does not live according to the what? To the teaching. Now, if you got somebody saying, I'm saved, I'm saved, and they're walking contrary to the Word of God, they're not following the words of God, they're not doing what is being taught, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something seriously is wrong. See, I can say that I'm saved, but am I demonstrating in my life that I'm saved? Am I demonstrating that? Can people really see it without me saying a word? That I'm saved. Can people really know what your real concerns are? That you're really concerned about the church or the world? That you're really concerned about the kingdom of God or yourself? What what are you really concerned about? And he says, boy... Who do not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourself know how you ought to follow our what? Our example. We were not idle. So Paul brings it right back in. Man, we were busy. We were working for the Lord. We're working for the kingdom of God. We're out here doing all that we can do to reach people for the Lord. We're out here busy for the Lord. And you hear people always say, I don't have time. I don't have time. The thing is, you don't work for Pastor Brown. You don't work for the elders. You don't work for Akron Alliance Fellowship. You work for the Lord. You serve him. You serve him. And he says, boy, they'll come around talking about, I'm saved, I'm saved. Could you imagine being in this thing that these people were in that God's calling out? People are religious and they're going to all these services. They're going to their temple, their church, or whatever it is. And they're saying they're saved. They're one of you, but they're not living like you. And whenever you try to correct, then you're threatened. And God says, come out. You've said all you can say. You've done all you can do. Come out. 
Why? Because I'm not ready to pass my judgment upon them. Come out. He, he goes on. Go to Ephesians 5.11. We are to expose. And could you imagine being there in Ephesians trying to, expo- to expose all the wrong teaching? But that's what we are called to do as Christians. We are to expose that which is heresy. We are to expose that which is unrighteous. We are to expose that which is unclean. We are to make it clear. We are the ones who shine the light on it. That people can really see that it's not right. But remember what scripture says. Boy, they will call wrong what? Right and right wrong. Well, who's going to be there to say, no, that's, that, that's really wrong. I know the culture. I know the society is saying, that's right. That the society says, it's right for y'all to shack up. It's right to pretest this marriage thing. It's right to do this. It's right to do that. It's right to shoot yourself up. It's right. Enjoy yourself. Somebody got to say, it's wrong. And therefore, he says, expose it. Even though when you expose, it may hurt you. You expose. You're not ashamed of who you are. You're not ashamed of the teachings of Christ. For you know the real power of that teaching. And what can take place when somebody really take hold to the word of God. That this is the power to save them because, boy, faith cometh by what? By hearing of the word. But if we're scared to speak the word, and he says in that verse 11, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Now that would be Babylon. Have nothing to do with those individuals. And, and he says, but rather expose them. Could you see this little group going up against this large group saying, boy, they're wrong in their worship. They're wrong in what they're teaching you. They're wrong in their philosophy. They're wrong in their doctrine. Could you see those little Christians there and the threat that would come against them? But yet, by Scripture, they are commanded to expose that which is wrong. You can't sit back and say, oh, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. You can't be caught up because eventually if you say it's okay enough, you're going to tiptoe into it. You'll have people over for dinner and you know they're not married and you know they're shacking up and you know that they're living in sin. But you'll shut your mouth. Because they're your husband's friends so. Or their relatives. Now, I'm not saying being rude and blot this stuff out. You living in sin and you going to hell. I'm not saying that. But that you find a way which to share that truth. That the lifestyle that you're living is not profitable for either one of you. And if you really loved each other and care for each other, there are some correct steps to take. Sometimes I don't blame sinners from running from us because we, we don't know how to talk to them. And we need to learn how to talk to them. We need to learn how to be 
in prayer as we are talking to them. That the Holy Spirit will lead us in what we're going to say. And he says, you have the job to expose them. Now, look at verse 12 there. He says, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do where? In secret. It's shameful to even talk about what they do, their deeds, and how they act. It's shameful to even really even talk about it. And he goes a little further than he says, but everything, in verse 13, but everything exposed by light becomes what? Visible. They're able to really see it now. Truth always reveals. Truth always brings us into the light. And understand sometimes, if the light is too bright, what happens to the eyes? And sometimes when the light is too strong to a person, they got to shut down, they got to reject. So we want to know how to give a soft light and bring them into a brighter light. And he says in Romans 16, 17, 18, If they're really saved, they're not people who are about causing division for their own desires, for their own appetites. Could you catch that Babylonian system coming in? And they're going to cause all kind of division. That's why in it is going to have this heresy and this heresy and this act and this act and doing this over here. Because the thing about their religion, they're trying to satisfy who? Everybody. Christianity can't satisfy everybody. There's only one head. There's only one teaching. And that is of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing is, it's not going to satisfy everybody. But that doesn't mean that we bend to try to do what? To capture everybody. We don't change our ways or our behavior or our character to try to have other folks come in to accept us. That's the hardest thing today in our Christianity. Because even with the church, we're trying to become more like the world than inducing the world more to Christ. Then in 1 Corinthians 5, go, go there with me. Again, just saying, he's saying, come out. And, and he's giving us reasons why he's saying come out as I just looked at this he says in 511 1 Corinthians 511 but now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a what a brother but is sexually immoral. How many of us associate with people who are sexually immoral? Unclean. Now, now Paul's going to come back and, he, and he's going to clarify this a little bit more. But see, that immoral person, again, is not my running buddy per se. They're my associate friend. I know them. We're going to have coffee together. We're, but they're not really the person I go and really 
pour my heart out to or really talk to. Nor do I look for them to be where I am. If I'm going to associate with them with the prayers and the hope that they will become as I am. (laughs) And and, and Paul said, boy, and, and when you go through this, how often Paul uses this thing, this thing called brother. But he says again, he said, but now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such men, do not even eat. Now, now, now that whole thing, Paul is writing. Now, come back up into verse 9 with me. He says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world. What did he just differentiate? I'm not talking about the people of this world because that's how they live. Those are the people we want to what? Win. But if somebody's calling themselves a brother or a sister in the Lord and they live that way, what should we do? And he says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindler or the adulterer. In that case, you would have to leave this what? Yeah. You have to leave this place. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother and then acts in this manner. So here they are in Babylon. Oh, we're religious. We believe in Jesus. I'm saved. I'm this. I'm that. And the Lord says, come out. Come out. Come out. And those are difficult words. Because, see, once you have become associated with something and you have tied yourself to something, it's hard to leave it, isn't it? And once you've been even indoctrinated by something, it's almost impossible to leave it. And here's where Christians really get caught at. I believe some of the Bible, but I also believe some of this. And I believe some of this. And I believe some of that. And it will cause you to be confused and not know where to stand. And unless you are standing in God's word, on God's word, and living in God's word, you are one confused, miserable individual. Because you don't know who to trust or what to trust. And he says, come out. Come out. And you have to be willing to cut something loose sometime in order to move out. Don't never allow your material stuff to hold you back. Always remember this. Whatever you have today, you can get it back again tomorrow. It shouldn't hold you back. 
Understand this. Those who are really your friends, they want to see you safe and sound. They don't want you staying with them and being destroyed. They want you to move on. And most likely, they're, they're going to be right there with you. Okay. He says, come out. And what is it that holds you and I from really coming out from the world? Cutting our ties somewhat to the world. Knowing, yes, our ministry is to the world. But we are not of the world. For our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And do we really understand that? And it says, come out. Come out. Because, see, even America one day is going to be judged. And the Christians are going to have to make a decision. Do we come out? Maybe it is the rapture takes us out because the Lord knows that there wasn't a rapture. If we knew the time, if we knew this, and we we had the biggest hurts, we had the stuff that they say uh, they'll bring it and put it in your yard. You load it up. That when you get raptured, you would make sure you was inside. That the Lord was going to take you. He got to take all your other stuff too. It's a warning that God gives to his people. And even in this time, in the tribulation, God has a people. And he's saying the same thing to those individuals that he has said from the very beginning of time. Remember when he called Abraham? He called Abraham what? Out. Because Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. And God called him out. He called Israel out of Egypt. And you had a heart of people who were like Lot's wife. It was so ingrained in them, the ways of Egypt, that they kept talking about going back where? To Egypt. God has saved you from the world. Come out from the world. Don't have those things in your heart wishing you could live like somebody in the world. If you're troubled with that sometimes, take it to the Lord. And Lord, I plead the blood of Christ over my mind in this area. Free me from that area. That I won't keep looking back. Come out. Come out. Come out. Amen? Amen. Father, we are your people. And Lord, as we come to celebrate this table, we're making a declaration that we are a people who have come out from the world. We are a people who have died to ourselves and that we live to for Christ. For Christ made a declaration for us in giving his life that he would die for us, but in the resurrection, he would live for us. 
And Father, I pray that we could be very clear and distinct about our decision to be out of the world, yet ministering to the world, but our heart is totally given to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that, Lord, that you might minister to us and that we might know who we belong to and what we truly believe and that, Lord, our interest is in the kingdom of God. May you truly minister to us, Lord, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to give, we want to give unto the Lord. And we want